welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Okay, this is lesson number two on examining your neighbor. <laughs> examining someone that you don't like. Examining who? Examining ourselves. Just a quick review. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Examine yourself. Right? Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobates. And we talked about how to examine means to do an inspection. Inspect yourself. Self-evaluation. Self-assessment. Just like you would have your car inspected. They inspected for certain things to make sure that you could put it on the road. Unless you live in Ohio, then it's a different story. You don't have to do that. But in Pennsylvania, you have to do that. And the economy of God, we should do that. Amen? And the context is saying what? He wants us to examine ourselves, do a self-assessment or evaluation so that we can know where we're at spiritually. And we also talked about how David said, you need to help me do the self-examination because you know me better than I know myself. Isn't that true? And two examples we gave you was, number one, Peter. Peter said, I won't deny you. I won't forsake you. I won't leave you. And Jesus said to him, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. Did Jesus know Peter better than he knew himself? Yeah, and the Laodicean church, you know, we're well off, we're wealthy, we're prosperous. My goodness, we've got the best church going in town, right? No, Jesus said, you're poor, you're blind, and naked. Oh, and he focused on three things that they exported. Gold, they thought they were rich because of the gold. Garments, they had black garments, black wool that they exported. And eye salve, eye salve that they used to help cure certain conditions in people's eyes. So he uses those three things and says, uh-uh, you're poor because you know the true gold is your faith tried by fire. You're blind, you might have an eye salve for the natural blindness, but you, don't, you need to come to me and get some spiritual eye salve that will open up your eyes to the truth. And naked, you might have black wool, but you need white wool that comes from me so that your sins are washed whiter than snow. It's the only church that Jesus said nothing good about. Nothing at all. Isn't that sad? So it's important that we recognize the fact that he knows us better than we know ourselves. So search my heart and try my reins, O Lord. And if you find something in me that needs to be dealt with, I'll deal with it. And remember how we talked about how Jesus also said that how can you try to pull out the splinter in your neighbor's eye when you've got a telephone pole in your own? Remember he said that? What is he trying to say to us? We're blinded to our own faults and shortcomings and failures and etc. But boy, we can see someone else's at a distance. And he said, no, we've got to correct that. And he said, no, first of all, wash all that mud off your face. Then you can see clearly. And maybe they don't really have that much of a speck there. Okay, so as we continue our study, look at some more scriptures that really talk about the fact that we as believers need to evaluate ourselves spiritually more than just once a year. Let's read it. Lamentations, 
chapter 3, verse 40, Amplified Bible. Let us test and examine our ways and let us return to the Lord. In Haggai, Haggai, Haggai. Now the Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. In the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 15, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. You know, our Christian journey begins the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, right? But it doesn't stop there, and we should know that. Every one of us should identify with that and know that. It continues right on through our life, either unto death, or in, you could say, maybe the generation that we're living in, we believe his return. Some believe he's coming imminently. We all believe that, and we all long for that, and we all want that. Wouldn't you want that to happen in your lifetime? That we're just gone, out of here, praise God, in an instant? Absolutely. But if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, what are we supposed to be doing? Occupying till he comes, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, keeping our eyes and focus and attention on the fact that he could come at any moment. You know why we need to hear that over and over again? Because he can come at any moment. Everything's been fulfilled as far as the rapture of the church is concerned, and he could come in the twinkling of an eye. What's that telling us? Be ready constantly. Be ready continuously. Every single day of our lives, make certain that we are walking in right fellowship with the Lord our God. Can you say amen? In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 23, we could see that very clearly highlighted by Jesus, who said this, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross weekly, monthly, yearly, how often? Daily, and follow me. What does that mean? Deny yourself of living independent of God. Take up your cross. Submit yourself to the will of God. Follow me. Allow me to make you the person I want you to be. You've got high aspirations for your life. You might want to do this, that, or the other thing, but he says, no, no. Allow me to make you fishers of men. Peter, you were, with all your crew, fishers of fish. But you follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Isn't that what he told him? And then in the book of uh, Acts, we see, you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be. You shall be. In other words, you'll become what? My followers. He's made them what he wanted them to be. And you will witness for him throughout the world. Now, in the book of um, Ephesians, this is chapter 4. And remember, Paul was taught the gospel by Jesus Christ himself. And here's what he says. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Anybody want to be perfected this morning? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come into the unity of the faith, under knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. What's the purpose of the fivefold ministry? Just so that we can get a miracle here or there and that's... No, no. The, the purpose of the fivefold ministry 
is to bring us to a place of spiritual maturity in Christ until we're conformed to his very image and likeness and that we emulate his life as we live our lives upon the earth. You know what? It's easy to get involved with everybody else is doing and forget about self. But I believe that in a day which we're living in right now, God is saying it's time to really focus on yourself and get yourself to the place where you can be used by God. Look, these days of all the outside uh, flamboyant ministries that are out there, people doing all these different things, they're, they're going to be distinct pretty soon because it's going to be individuals like you and me, every single one of us living our lives in such a way so as to glorify God, have the power of God manifested in us and through us so that each and every one of us can be witnesses for Jesus in this life in which we live. You know why? Because as you can see what's happening around us right now, the church is being persecuted even in America like it's never been before. We know that's happening, and we know that's prophesied that it was going to happen. But you know what? That doesn't mean we're still not strong in the Lord and the power of His might. It doesn't mean we can't succeed in carrying out the purpose of His will. We can't be overcomers in this life. He always causes us to triumph no matter what situation we might find ourselves be to be in. More than conquerors, amen? Not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. Why? Because we know Him better and better, more and more. You see, it used to be, and I'll be honest with you, many, many years ago when I first came here, this was an attitude that existed among people. The pastor's the one that does the studying for us, and we just sit back and just listen. And then we go about from week to week and just do our own thing. No, 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 no. The fivefold ministry is to bring us all to a place of spiritual maturity. You know what that means? You should know the Word as well as I do. I should know the Word as well as you do. Right? We should all take that responsibility for ourselves. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Anybody here like bread? Anybody here like stale bread? I love fresh bread. I love the smell of fresh bread. What about you? Every single day we should have the smell of fresh bread in our lives because we have a fresh scripture from, from God that he delivers to our souls and that we feed upon that and said, you know what? That's me. I'm going to live that way. Now I'm going to point out, and there's many directions we can go with the self-examination, but I'm going to point out three things this morning that will be helpful to all of us. Number one is knowledge. Some things that we need to pursue in our walk with God is knowledge. If we're going to mature, and remember the model is Christ and the example is him, and grow up into Him in all things, then we need to, number one, have knowledge. The knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. And the full measure of the stature of Christ. Without that knowledge, it can't happen. So, number one, it's to know Christ and what it means to truly live the Christian life. It's not that I said a prayer uh, 25 years ago and I've done nothing at all after that. Well, I accept that Christ is my Savior. I'm going to heaven well, I'm glad that you have and that you are. But Christianity is a whole lot more than that. It's to know Him personally, intimately, with the deepest knowledge. As a matter of fact, look in John's Gospel 17. In your notes, it's wrong. It's verse 3, not verse 1. It's verse 3, not verse 1. So if you're viewing whatever, if you've got notes there, just change that. Make it verse 3. And this is life eternal that your friends know God. Jesus is speaking and he says that they, that includes every one of us, may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Notice the word know, it's in the Greek, gnosko, and what it means is the deepest form of knowledge. It's knowledge that 
causes the subject and object to be united. It's the electrical outlet being there, and it's the plug being here, and you know it when you plug it in and your speaker works. It's called intimacy, intimate knowledge. That's why in the scriptures in um, Genesis it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and they bear a son. The intimate knowledge. He's talking about eternal life is not knowing about God. It is knowing God. Entering into God. Experiencing God. I knew about God for 24 years from a religious perspective when I was growing up. I couldn't stand being in church at all. I was made to go. My parents made me go. I went to school and had to go to a service every day before school. And then I had to go to classes on Saturday. And then on Sunday went to school again. And for 24 years of being around this kind of activity, I did not know God, but I knew about God. There's an enormous difference between knowing God and knowing about God. But one day someone came up and said to me, and I do believe that this person did this because I cried out as a 16-year-old boy to God saying, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Well, wait a minute. I've been doing everything my religion told me to do, but yet I'm convicted that I'm going to hell. And so one day he sent someone to my life, crossed my path and said, you got to be born again if you want to go to heaven. To show you just how thick-skulled we can all be, you know, our heads could be like cement, thoroughly mixed, well set. And that was me, because I said, what? You want to go to heaven? You've got to be born again. I said, you're some kind of freak. I go to back at night, I said, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell, help me Lord, help me Lord, help me Lord. Someone else comes across my path and says, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be born again. I'm thinking, these people are lunatics. Do I know, little do I know he's chiseling away all the religious traditions that I had built up within my mind, thinking that people that talk about Jesus and, and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, they're nothing but a bunch of Jesus freaks or lunatics and crazy people because I don't even think about this. But yet I was in church for 24 years, five days a week, six days a week. It was offensive to me. Actually, one time says, why don't you become what I am so you can go to heaven? I showed them. So finally, the one person came up to me and just said, why don't you go home and open up your Bible that you never do and read John 3, 3 through 7. Oh, I was in a huff, and I just said, oh, I'll go home. And of course, I had this really family, thick, thick, you could hardly pick it up, family Bible full of dust. I was told you can't understand that book, so don't open it. So I didn't. I was an obedient, right, person. So I opened up to John 3, 3, and I read it, and it said, except the man be born again, he will not enter the kingdom of God. Don't marvel. Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. My jaw fell open. My mouth fell open. My jaw was hanging down. Conviction came over my soul. It still took me time to wade through all of the tradition that I was taught, all the religious ideas I was taught, the form and doctrine that I was taught. But one day, it hit me square between the eyes. And I got literally into my prayer closet. Literally. 
My dad was on fire for God. He wrote out a sinner's prayer. I was laid up because I thought I had pneumonia, which I didn't. I had a bruised lung. And he brought this sinner's prayer on a piece of paper. He put it in my bedroom and said, if you want Jesus and you want to be born again, that's what you pray. I got out of bed after he left. Went to, I literally went to my closet. Literally. I took it literally. Got on my knees and opened up that paper. And I asked Jesus to come to my heart. And you know what? He did. He did. And guess what? Going to church was no longer a chore. I wanted to be there. Guess what? Everybody looked a whole lot better. The world looked a whole lot better. Everything looked a whole lot better. I now know God. I knew God. I was excited about God for the first time in my life. But I'll tell you what, I was so down on religion. I couldn't take it. And you know what? Rightfully so. Whether you've heard this or not, if you're here long enough, you heard me say it. What sends more people to hell than anything else in the world? Religion. That's what does. People think they're right with God. That's exactly what the devil wants. That's called deception. But they're not. And that's why it's important that you assess yourself. You evaluate yourself. Eternal life is about knowing God, not knowing about God. It's entering into God and God entering into you to bring you out of darkness, into the light, out of death, into life, and giving you a brand new heart and a brand new life. Oh, thank God, religion can't do that. You see, this requires expanding our knowledge of God. It's all about knowing Him and Jesus Christ, whom He sent. So, what does that do? Why do you think He made that statement? Why do you think Jesus made that statement and Paul penned it? I mean, I'm sorry, John penned it. You know why? Because the Jewish person can say, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ. He said, no, no, you've got to believe on God and the one he sent, Jesus Christ. So, he touched base with the Gentile world and the Jewish world and said what? You've got to be born again, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're bond or free, whether you're male or a female, you must be born again Marvel not, Nicodemus, marvel not. So, we start with knowing the Father. If you were an old covenant person, you knew God as a creator of the heavens and earth and all that. But you also knew him as a God of justice and judgment who was waiting for you to make a mistake so he can zap you with fire. Right? In some cases, that did happen. But you see, Jesus came to reveal him as a loving Father. And even though he does judge... And he believes in justice, but also he believes in mercy and forgiveness. And mercy always precedes judgment. He came to reveal to us the very Father heart of God. He came to expose him to us so that we could really see him for who he is. And so as you read through the Gospels and what they say, what do you discover? A loving, caring Heavenly Father who cares for us more than we care for our own children. What man among you, if your child would ask, Ray, would you give him a stone? Or fish, my goodness, would you give him a scorpion? Or an egg, would you give him a serpent? None of you would. Well, then your Father, your Father in heaven, loves you more than that. And so he came to reveal to us the true heart of God. And we're to learn his character. We're to learn all about him. Yes, his creative powers and abilities, but also he has numbered the hairs on our heads that's how precious we are to Him. Yet we walk around saying, who am I? I'm a nobody. 
Really? You are so special, so worthy that God sent His Son just for you from heaven to come to this earth and lay down His life and shed His blood for you. That's how valuable you are. That's how important you are. His eyes on the sparrow, I know that. And one falls to the ground and he's aware of it. You think his eye isn't on you? You don't think you're more valuable than many sparrows, Jesus said? So we need to learn to know the Father. But then secondly, Jesus Christ, he said, his Son. So we need to advance or grow in our knowledge of the Son. Yes, he's my Savior. Yes, he's my Redeemer. Yes, he's the Messiah. He's the one that was spoken of. But you know what? He's also my High Priest. He's also my Mediator. He's also my Advocate. He's also my intercessor. He is also my surety, my guarantee that stands behind every word and promise of the Bible. He stands before the throne of God on your behalf and says, that person belongs to me, Father. He's confessed me before men. I confess him before you. And as his mediator, advocate, intercessor, and guarantee, listen to what he's saying because... I'm here to back up every word. And when he acts on my promises, they'll be made good. We need to know Jesus as Savior, yes, Redeemer, yes, and Lord, enough to follow his will for our lives, but to expand our knowledge by going into the Bible and discovering what he says that he is and all that he fulfilled as these five offices in the New Covenant. I venture to tell you if I asked the average Christian out there, they wouldn't know that. They wouldn't know those fivefold ministry of Jesus here in the New and Everlasting Covenant. What's it mean for him to be a high priest? <laughs> it meant that he entered into the high court of heaven for you to shed his blood for you and pay the price of your redemption. That's what it means. What's it mean he's my mediator? You've got someone that stands between you and God. God's there, you're here, and in between are his outstretched arms. He mediates for me. You know what your advocate is? You know what an advocate is? When Andrew was, was in school, he needed an advocate. And my wife and I, we need to be advocates for him. He would never gotten all the things he really needed to get and was required to get and could have gotten if we didn't go there and be an advocate, a spokesperson for him. You know what? He stands as a spokesperson for you. He's your advocate who pleads your case, which also brings him into his intercessory prayer ministry where he's ever interceding for you. Are you going through something right now? You've got someone. You might say, call up so-and-so. Have them pray for me. You know what? Jeremiah 33.3 says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things. You can call the throne of God and Jesus, your intercessor, will take up your case. He will pray for you. He'll intercede for you. He's your intercessor. Think about it. And then he's my guarantee as well. But then you got the third of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost. And you see him moving in the Old Testament, but not like in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, we see seven of the nine manifestations of the Spirit in operation. The anointing of God upon the prophet, the priest, and the king, and so on and so forth. But Jesus said, the day is coming. What a longing for he had for that day. The day is coming. Look, guys, I've got a lot more to say to you, but what i got to say, you will never understand. But... When the Comforter comes, when the Paraclete comes, the Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Advocate, Intercessor, Strengthener, and stand by when He comes, He will guide you in all truth. He'll speak to you what He hears of the Father, and He will show you things to come. You see, this anointing, this power of the Holy Spirit was upon the prophet, priest, and the king. But you know what? In the New Covenant, 
He enters into you with Shekinah glory and becomes your comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby. You got someone on the inside of you who raised up Jesus from the dead who's there to quicken your mortal body and give it life and health. God wants us to be confident enough to know that greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world, praise God. Where is he? I'm his temple. He's living in me. He wants us to know him, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, intimately with this kind of knowledge and revelation. And this isn't just for preachers. Heavens, this is for everyone in the body of Christ. We've got the same Father. We've got the same Jesus. We've got the same Holy Ghost. We've got the same redemption. We've got the same covenant rights. We all do. It belongs to all of us. I'm only the means and the, and the apostle, prophet, pa pa pastor, teacher, etc., that's only to communicate it. I'm not anointed to live it. I'm not anointed to walk in it. I'm anointed to preach it. I got to live it the way you do. How? Get on my face before God and meditate the word of God day and night and just say, Father God, I examine myself, my own heart. I assess my life. Change me from glory to glory. I, get, I have to give him license to do that in my life. You know why? Because we can learn as much as we want to learn. But you know what? The proof of it is in this. How much of it do we apply in our life? It's the application of it in our lives. Do we love our enemies, as Jesus said? Do good to those that hate you. Pray for them that abuse you. Speak well of those that speak evil of you. Do we really do that? We know what it says. That's knowledge. But do you really? You get up every morning and say, bless my enemies. Help them to see the truth. Bring them to Christ. Or do we just want to fuss and fight and complain? So it's so important that we take the truth of God's word. We, once again, what do we do? We expand our knowledge of these things and we walk in the light of them. Even though we may not feel like it. You feel like loving your enemy all the time? You still out there? You feel like loving your enemy every day? No. Number two, the second thing I want to bring up is obedience. Obedience. Notice in the book of Amos, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, this is the book of Amos. Then he showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I answered, a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line I will no longer ignore all their sins. Anybody here old, old enough to know what a plumb line is? We've got such modern technology today that we don't use plumb lines much anymore. A plumb line is a piece of string with a weight in the bottom of it, and you hold it up here, and it goes straight down there and say, wind don't blow. And what's he saying? I'm going to hold that plumb line up to the wall and to make sure it's straight and still straight. What's he talking about spiritually? There's a plumb line in the Old Testament. There's a plumb line in the New Testament. What's the plumb line in the Old Testament? The law. The law. Right? I am the Lord your God. Have no strange gods before me. Two, don't you have any images of any other God? I am the Lord God. No images whatsoever. Number three, don't you dare use my name in vain. And number four, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Five, honor your father and your mother. That's the plumb line. 
Six, don't commit murder. Seven, don't commit adultery. Eight, don't steal. Nine, don't bear false witness. And what's ten? Don't covet. So that's the plumb line in the Old Testament. Okay, am I walking straight with God? Here is the plumb line. This is what I measure my life up to. But now we come over to the New Testament, we've got something different. There's a new plumb line. What's the New Testament plumb line? If you can see the string with the law on the bottom of it, the Mosaic law, with the tablets of stone, that's the plumb line. Come over to the New Testament, on the bottom of that plumb line, is Jesus Christ. And there's a new law connected to that, and what's it called? Look in John's Gospel, we'll see. John's Gospel, chapter 13. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's the new plumb line. Old Testament said, love, as you, love yourself, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mm -mm, I'm raising the bar on that one. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Wow. The plumb line in the New Testament is Jesus and his law of love. And he says, look, this is how I want you to measure your life. This is how I want you to do a self-evaluation, examination. Make certain that you certain that you evaluate your life this way. Okay. Well, look in the book of Romans chapter 13. And this is from the New Living, I believe. Owe no man, owe nothing to any man or anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. And those, he refers to the Old Testament law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, you saw it there, there was partial light there. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of the law. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. Wow. So what's he saying to us? Use the plumb line for yourself and see how you line up or how you measure up. Now, I don't know about you, but that's enough for me just to say, I've got to work on myself. <clears throat> Anybody here agree with me on that? I can't look on that smudge on your face when I've got mud all over mine. I've got to evaluate myself, which is why he says, evaluate yourself. Assess yourself. But when you do it, make sure you line it up to the Word of God. Now, look at John 14 and verse 21 through 23. Those who accept my commandments... And obey them are the ones who love me. Notice he didn't say those that say, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. He says, those that know my commandments and obey them. Those are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them 
and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Iscariot, but the other disciple with that same name. He said, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. So what's the test here? Am I walking in the light of his commandment to love? Am I loving as he loved me and observing the things that he said for me to do? Because he said, if I'm walking in the realm of that love, then love will not fulfill all those other things. And before I go any further and bring this to a close, this is so important. See, in the Greek language, there were different words for love. But yet we hear the word, one word love, and we just say we love, we just love. We love cats, we love dogs, we love pizza, we love this, we love food, we love whatever. And we love squirrels and we love our spouse. I want to put our spouse in the same category as a squirrel, but <laughs> would you? So in the Greek language, eros, storge, phileo, and agape. Eros is very simple, physical attraction. We're made that way to be attracted to someone. Someone who may be beautiful to one is not to another. We're all different. We know that. But it's physical. Second, historia means compatibility. Are we compatible with everybody in the world? Probably not. Most likely not. But it's important if you're married to each other, you need to work on compatibility. Can you say amen to that? And then thirdly, it's phileo, which is Philadelphia, which is brotherly love. The highest form of natural human love, which is responsive. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You holler at me, I'll holler at you. See, it's okay when it's going well. I'll scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Give me a gift, I'll give you one back. But holler at me, I'll holler back at you. That's responsive. That's what phileo love is. It's responsive. It's natural human love. So when Jesus intruded into the world that we're living in right now, guess what he brought with him? Agape. Agape is love based on a decision and principle, not feeling and emotion. See, feeling and emotion could be in there, but it's not based on that Agape love says, I love you unconditionally. Holler at me, I'm not going to holler back at you. And that's the kind of love that Jesus brought. He said, love me as I loved you. God introduced us to that love. He said, while we were sinners, he died for us. Not while we were partners. Not while we were even seeking him. So if you can understand that kind of love, he's talking about this kind of love goes beyond natural human love. And you only get it when you're born again. And now that you have it, don't leave it in a closet somewhere. Use it. Walk in the light of it. And look at this last verse here in 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. This is from the New Living Translation as well. We're talking about obedience, walking in uh, love to obey God, to show Jesus that we are his disciple. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as being king. Did you hear what he just said about disobedience and not walking in obedience? It's like witchcraft, stubbornness, rebellion, and all that. So to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, don't raise your hand when I, ask you, when I say this or ask you this question. Have you ever said I like to knock him in the head and then repent later? <laughs> Obedience is better than sacrifice. 
I'll sacrifice a lamb later, but I'm going to knock him in the head right now. In the back of a person's mind, you can think, I'll just do this right now. God will forgive me later. That's what he's talking about. No, that's not a right attitude to have. No, we should recognize that God doesn't like it. We shouldn't do it and just say, stop short of that. Just stop right there. Number three and the last one, we'll bring it to a close, is service. So God wants us to do what? Grow in our knowledge of him. Grow in our obedience to him. And number three, in our service of him. And this is going to be a different little take, different take on service. So stay with me. In 1 Samuel 12 and verse 24, this is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Notice what it says. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Be sure, but be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. Think of all the wonderful things He has done for you. Notice that verse of Scripture. What is it saying? The motivation that we have to serve Him is not because I stood up from the pulpit and said you should serve God. What should be the motivation? Look at all the wonderful things he has done for you. Fear him enough to serve him. He's done such wonderful things. It really troubles me when I hear people say, what's he ever done for me? Like, what's he ever done for me? I know we've got to start with the alphabet, with that person's life. You don't know what he's done for you? You have no clue what he's done for you? He left heaven to come to earth for you that he created and walked on. He who cannot be housed by the universe took on flesh for you to be born of a virgin. He walked on this earth like no man ever walked and died a death that no man ever died and he did it for you. And it was a horrific, horrible death beyond imagination. Not just because of crucifixion because many died crucified lives. Many, including Peter upside down. It wasn't that. He became sin for you. He took your sin upon himself. He buried it in the realms of darkness and he arose from the dead on a third day for you and took his blood into the high court of heaven before the throne of God and said, this is for you. Wow. What's he ever done? That's what he's done. And guess what? He gave you an invitation to join him at the throne and when there's the marriage feast of the Lamb, you've got an invitation. What's he done for you? You think about those things. That should move us to serve him. Could you say amen? Romans 12, 1, and here it is. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable... What? Did you notice he didn't say go to church three times a week and he said get involved with the praise team and worship team and get... No, he didn't say that? Where does service start? Where does it start? Right here. With my body. Presenting it to God. To live a godly, holy life before Him. That's my reasonable service and duty as a believer. And guess what? Last I checked, we all have one. Anybody out here without a body today? Did you bring yours today or did you leave it at home? You got your body with you today? How many of you know that body on its own does not want to serve God? The flesh wars against the spirit. The spirit wars against the flesh. And the two, mm -mm, contrary to one another. And that's why he says, you, now that you're born again, your spirit's in, in, in fellowship with God, relationship with God. Now get your body. And Paul says, i got to beat mine up. 
so I don't walk away from God. Think about it. All right, so crucifying the flesh and learning to know ourselves. Know you not your own selves, he said. You got to know yourself. And why are we doing this fasting and prayer? And first of all, we said on the list on Wednesday night was to do what? Examine yourself. Ask God to shine the light of his scrutiny upon your life and just say, Lord, I humble myself in such a way so as to know what do I need to change in my life. Look at Colossians chapter 3. And this one, is, again, is a very enlightening one. This is from the New Living also. Slaves or workers, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. What is a ser what's he talking about? This kind of service? We're serving him when we go to work every day and we do our job and we do it well. We do it when the boss is looking. We do it when he's not looking. And when all the other workers are telling you, stop, 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 you're making us look bad, you just say, I'm sorry, that's up between you and everybody else. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do it well because I'm doing it for Christ. I was in a place like that when I first got saved. And I'm telling you right now, I was working crazy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm competitive with myself. I don't know how you are with yourself. I'm competitive with myself. I was making lids and I was putting on those lids handles. I had to rivet to the lid. And I'm in this position and I'm working in this. It's called Greif Factory. They made big 55-gallon cans and, and small ones. And so I'm putting on these and you got to go like this. you got to grab the tools. you got to grab the, the, the plate and you got to get the rivet. The rivet comes down and you got to go like this. Then handle. And you're doing like this constantly all day long. I'm minding my own business. I don't know these people. I'm young, very young, probably 18 years old. I'm just working like a madman. See, I made, mm, I made 400 yesterday. I'm going to make 450 tomorrow. And I just kept on you know, competing with myself. And I made more and more and more and more and more. I didn't know that these guys, these older guys that were there for a long period of time, I didn't know they worked on incentive. I, don't know, I didn't know how they worked. I didn't know how they got their pay and that sort of thing. They wanted overtime. Well, I was cutting into their overtime. Because you see, all the other people that did that job, they were. I'm like, really? Well, the boss was delighted. I didn't know that these guys were complaining. They said, stop working so hard. Stop working so fast. Stop doing what you're doing. I'm like, why? It makes my day go fast when I work like a madman. I compete with myself. I'm going to do more today than I did yesterday. So I know you're going to come to an end at that at some point, but you can only do so much. I don't want to be too graphic here because I would just do my own thing. They started spitting up some very nasty looking stuff in my equipment. <laughs> so I go to put my hand in there and I'm like, where did that come from? Gross. You know what I did? Never mind, I was young and crazy. I guess I don't know. I beat my record. <laughs> you see, I was working for the Lord. And I wanted this, this uh, company to prosper. And you know what? If, it, if everybody would have worked that way, they would have prospered even more. And they'd be like Chick-fil-A right now, closing on, on Sunday and still being prosperous because they honored God. Can you say amen? Yeah. And finally, 1 Corinthians 12 uh, look, look at verse 14 through 21. K 
King James Version of the Bible, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, is it not of the body? Am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God sent members, every one of them, in the body as it had pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now, but now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say, notice this, to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head, Jesus, to the feet, I have no need of you. Think about it. What's he saying? God needs us in the body. Every single one of us to take our place and do our part, no matter who we are, we're all needed. There are no unused members in the body of Christ. Just because you're not the head doesn't mean you're not important or equally as important in the body of Christ. So if he's the head, can't say to the foot, I don't need you, how much more do we know he needs every single one of us? Amen? Let's stand together before the Lord.